Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for coming tonight, and I hope you have had a good day and a, a good start to your week so far. Uh, let's bow before the Lord and just pray and ask him to bless our time of study together tonight. Merciful Father, we thank you that we can come and gather together as your people tonight. Uh, we pray that you would have uh, your blessings on each and every one of us and on our whole church family. And uh, Lord, what a privilege it is to come and to meet together as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray that this would be a time of encouragement and fellowship, as well as learning and worship. And Father, we pray that you would be exalted during this time. Uh, Father, as we pray and as we study, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would do so uh, for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Tonight, we're moving into chapter 12 and chapter 13 of Created to Draw Near. And at this section in the book, we're, it, we're talking about Israel and the institution of the Levitical priesthood in, within the nation of Israel, but also what that signifies and what that means in a larger picture, biblically, theologically, for us as believers uh, as priests of the Lord and, and how these Old Testament passages can help us understand how we now, now draw near to the Lord through Christ and through his sacrifice for us. And so he begins in chapter 12, just talking about the concept of holiness, which he says, if you read in the scriptures anywhere about priests, or the priestly system, or the tabernacle, or sacrifices, you're going you're gonna to read about holiness. It is, it is there, it's everywhere. In all of those texts, the concept of holiness is there, which essentially means to be set apart. Sometimes the way I like to describe the concept of holiness is like at Thanksgiving time or Christmas time, when you pull out the special plates, right? The, the fine china, that's, that's set aside, right? That's, that's set apart for special use. So you don't put that in the microwave for your warmed up hot dog, okay? That's, you save that for special occasions, for special gatherings. That's, that's a very small and imperfect example but that's a way of thinking about holiness. It is something that is unique, something that is special, something that is set apart for, uh, for God's use. It's consecrated, it's sanctified. And he says, everywhere we see uh, priests, we see this concept of holiness. So we see holy days, holy places, holy objects, holy people, and all of those things are specifically uh, set aside by the Lord, but also for the Lord. So God is the one who says, set Aaron apart for me to be my priest, or uh, set this vessel aside for me. It shall be holy unto the Lord. Uh, so the Lord is the one who designates things as holy, as consecrated, but it's also for him for his glory, for his worship. And in the scriptures, uh, the book brings us into this idea of God's classification system that Leviticus 10.10 10 talks about, where, it's, where the Lord tells Moses and then Moses to the people, 
so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so one of the things that is confusing to us in going back and reading some of these laws in the Old Testament is this categorization of holy and common, of clean and unclean. And it's important, though, for us to understand uh, how this is important to God, but also what it signifies for the people and their relationship to God. And so we have the concept of holy, which is that which is special, set apart, in distinction from the common. And so you have, again, going back to the example, you have your fine china, but then you have your everyday microwave plates, right? So you have the holy, you have the common. But then within the common, uh, you have kind of a distinction between the clean and the unclean. And we can even think about that too, right? You're not going to take a dirty dish out of the sink and warm your hot dog up on that. That's unclean. That's not fit for use, right? Any kind of use until it is cleaned, until it's cleansed. So even within the common of everyday use, there is a separation between the clean and the unclean. And again, like he's done in several of the chapters, he, he keeps bringing some of these things back and laying them over the top of our picture of the tabernacle. And so the picture of the tabernacle that we have is of outside the fence, outside the courtyard. Then we have inside the fence in the courtyard. Then we have the holy place and then the most holy place, the holy of holies. And so he says, uh, we can think of unclean, clean and holy kind of over that grid of if you were unclean in Israel, then you could not even come near uh, the tabernacle, near the temple, near the gates of the uh, tabernacle. If you were clean, you could approach and worship. But then you had to be designated as holy in order to come inside and be welcomed, be welcomed nearest to God. And we see these distinctions really throughout the, the Bible, and it's really fundamental to God's orderly universe. Even from the beginning in Genesis, we see God making divisions between things, God separating things. So one of the very first things we see in Scripture is God separating the light from the darkness. We see in Scripture God separating the waters above from the waters below and making sky. God separating uh, the waters um, to form land. And so we see these separations that God does really throughout the Bible, starting at the very beginning. And so then when we get to Israel and some of the laws that they have, we should not necessarily be surprised that God makes distinctions and separations within uh, his commandments for his people and how they're to relate to one another, to him, as well as to the world. And so we see some of these separations exemplified in some of the laws of the Old Testament, like they weren't supposed to plant two kinds of crop in the same field. So this field was for this crop, this field separate was for this crop, for this type of seed. Uh, we see laws about the kind of garments that they could wear. 
uh, they couldn't mix together in one garment uh, different types of fabric, different types of thread, symbolizing purity and separation, distinctness. Probably the clearest example of this separation and distinction we see in a passage like Leviticus 11 that uh, designates certain foods and animals as clean and certain foods and animals as unclean. And he says, uh, for us, these are unusual things, but they, they teach us something. He says, these unusual expressions of distinctions and order were a bridge to the deeper order in which God's people were to belong to him and separate themselves from sin. Sin is an alien kind that should not mix with those created in God's image. And so in a way, this uh, separating fields, separating types of cloth, separating types of foods, um, separating uh, certain days of the week, certain people for special roles and functions. All of those things are uh, really a picture of God's desire for us to be holy and set apart, especially from sin and to be holy unto him. Also in the Old Testament, in a lot of these ceremonial laws regarding clean, unclean, holy, common, one of the things that we see across a lot of these laws is the need to be separate from death or anything related to death. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If, if holiness and set-apartness is a, a picture of our being set apart from sin, what is the punishment for sin? Death, isn't it? So death, wherever it is, is a reminder of sin and its consequences. And so you have laws in the Old Testament about priests not supposed to touch dead bodies, dead carcasses. Um, you have uh, a lot of, even some of the laws that seem odd to us, like even in the food laws, uh, like which, which ones are clean, which ones are unclean, I think can be even explained through the concept of life versus death. So if you notice in the food laws and you look at the animals that are clean, you look at what they eat. What do they eat? They eat plants. Deer, cattle, um, the lambs, sheep. They, they're grass eaters, right? They're herbivores. They have nothing to do whatsoever with death, with animal death. The animals that are regarded as unclean you will typically see their predators. They're predators, they're meat eaters, so they're killers, or they're scavengers, which feed on that which is already dead, right? And so you have, even in within some of those foods that are clean and unclean that don't make a whole lot of sense to us, you see this principle of life set apart from death, of light set apart from darkness. And so we see the clean and the unclean then lived out among the people of God. And uh, for the clean, they were welcome. They could draw near. They were free to worship at the temple gates and to enter the courtyard. And, and they were regarded as included in the community. But then the unclean, 
those that were regarded as ceremonially unclean, they were unwelcome and they had to remain far away. And so the unclean were farther from God and closer in proximity to death or having been near death recently. So even in the clean versus unclean, you have near God, set up, you know, far away from God. And the unclean were excluded from the community. One of, uh, so if you were ceremonially unclean, like if you had touched a dead carcass, a dead body, then you were not allowed to come into the temple courtyards and near the, the temple or the tabernacle until you had gone through the appropriate ceremony, sacrifice to make yourself clean again. And so the unclean person's only hope was that God would do something to redeem him or her from uncleanness, and he did. The entire sacrificial system was intended to point the way from death toward the life giver himself, and the unclean were purified or cleansed. And so you have, after the fall, Adam and Eve and really all of humanity kind of declared unclean, right? And, and put out of the Garden of Eden. But then God's saving, redemptive mission through the entire rest of the storyline of the Bible is taking that which is unclean and making it clean and making it holy. And in the process, drawing them near to God. And so we have the, the clean and the unclean, but then we have the holy. And the holy is that which is nearest to God. And it is set apart from the rest of creation. It is not common. It is that which specifically belongs to the Lord and that which he himself has declared to be his. And so these things, people, objects, these are honorable, not because there's some intrinsic quality of themselves that makes them honorable, but because God has declared them holy and honorable. I mean, just think about the holiest object that you can think of in the whole Old Testament system was probably the Ark of the Covenant, right? Inside the Holy of Holies, inside the most holy place, that, that mercy seat between the cherubim above that Ark of the Covenant, that's where the blood of atonement was sprinkled. That's where God's presence was located. You probably can't imagine something more holy in the Old Testament economy than that. And yet it was made out of wood. It was made out of gold, overlaid with gold. Was there anything particularly holy about the wood or about the gold? I mean, it had to be good wood and it needed to be pure gold that was overlaying it, but wasn't specifically holy until God declared it holy. It is now his and now it's set apart. It is consecrated. And so God is in the mission of, through his grace, bringing the unclean to the holy. And really since the fall, God, his purpose is reclaiming the unclean and making them clean and holy. And he does this through consecration, sanctification. That is the, the biblical concept of making something clean and holy. And so the way to do this in the Old Testament was through sacrifice. The only way for the unclean to become clean, to be purified, was through sacrifice. 
the way that something was set apart and designated as holy was through sacrifice. Moses offered sacrifices to consecrate, to dedicate the tabernacle when it was finished. Moses offered sacrifices to consecrate and set apart Aaron unto the priesthood. So the way to moving from unclean to clean to holy is only through sacrifice in the biblical system. And so we have, again, overlaying this over the tabernacle picture, we have, if you're moving away from the presence of God, you're being polluted, going from holy to the common. And then the further you move out, you're going to the profane, that which is um, unholy, unclean. But as you draw near to God, you are being cleansed and becoming clean. And then becoming consecrated, sanctified, becoming holy unto the Lord. And both of those can be seen in relationship of proximity to the Lord. Moving from unclean to clean to holy is drawing near to God. But moving from holy to common to unclean is moving away from the Lord. But God's purpose in his creation and the purpose for which he made us as his image bearers is to bring us near as a holy people. The problem is left to ourselves, we're unclean, aren't we? Left to ourselves, we are unclean. Sin and death are our problem. But God's mission is to draw us close to himself and to give us life. He takes the unclean and he makes them clean. And then he takes the clean and he makes them holy. In the Old Testament picture, the system, that was through animal sacrifice, wasn't it? But now we know from the gospel, from the New Testament, from the writer of Hebrews, that all of that has been set aside. That all of those symbols and pictures and everything that that Old Testament system pointed to and taught us about the holiness of God and our uncleanness, all of that has been now fulfilled in Christ, hasn't it? And so Christ is the fulfillment of the priesthood. Christ is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple. Christ is the fulfillment of the animal sacrifices. Christ is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God is. All of these things are filled up, brought to its completion point, its culmination in Christ. And so now our, the only path, the only path that is available for sinful humanity to move from unclean to clean to holy is through Christ. That's it. There's only now one sacrifice for sins, isn't there? Acts 4, there's, no, there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And so God is moving people. He's redeeming them, taking them from the unclean to the holy. And now he's doing that in Christ. And then in chapter 13, he brings us to Exodus 24, where we see this incredible scene of a meal with God. And I love the way he opened this chapter. He said, you know that God has accepted you when he invites you to a meal. And we see that image in Exodus 24, 
where the elders of Israel ascend up a, a part of the way up Mount Sinai. And Exodus 24 says that there they have a meal in the presence of God. Exodus 24 verse 9 says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as bright blue as the sky. So some kind of a vision, a picture of heaven. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. In other words, God welcomed them. He, he did not judge them, condemn them. Instead, it says they saw God and the ate and they drank. It's an amazing scene. One like unlike you see just about anywhere else in scripture. And one of the things he talks about is that in the Old Testament, we see that there is one way to draw near to God. And that is the way that he commands, the way that he prescribes. And it is by grace that we draw near to God, but it's by his word and his command that we draw near his way. And so the Israelites were not allowed to go up the mountain. The Israelites in general had to stay a certain distance away from the mountain. They were not allowed to even come up to the base of the mountain. But the elders, Nadab and Abihu, they were allowed to come up a, a partial way up the mountain because God had allowed them to do so and welcomed them to do so. But then Moses alone is the only one who is invited up to the summit, to the top of the mountain. Again, God is the one who prescribes those distinctions. And so we see this picture of divine hospitality where the elders of Israel come up and it says they saw God and under his feet, like this pavement made of lapis lazuli, a bright blue. And he makes the comment in the chapter that um, they, they did not see all of God. And I agree with that. There's no possible way that these elders of Israel, when it says they saw God, they didn't see all of God. They didn't see all of God in all of his glory. Later on in Exodus, not even Moses was allowed to see that. We read in John chapter one, no one has ever seen God at any time. But here is Jesus, the only begotten son of God who has revealed him. So in the Old Testament, when we see these encounters between people and God, and it says they saw God, it is a certain manifestation of God, that God in his condescension, in, in a, accommodating himself as the infinite God to our finiteness, that he allows us to see and that we are capable of seeing. And so they saw God, but they saw his feet, if you will. They saw just a small uh, element or, or portion of what God is in all of his perfection. Uh, but they're invited into God's presence and they share a covenantal meal, which interestingly enough, didn't, doesn't say they brought anything with them. God must have provided it, right? So God invites them and he provides a meal for them. And he says, again, taking this picture of the tabernacle, you can almost overlay that over the top of Mount Sinai. And, and see it like a vertical tabernacle where at the bottom 
at the base, you've got those that are not even allowed to come up the mountain. So you've got those that are outside the courtyards, if you will. But then you have Israel that is invited in uh, to the presence of God in at the base of the mountain, inside the inner courtyard, if you will. But then the elders are able to come up a little ways up the mountain and share a meal in the presence of the Lord. That's kind of like entering into the holy place. But then only Moses is allowed to go up to the summit. Only Moses in the most holy place, the holy of holies, the inner chamber, if you will. And he has this great quote where he attaches or or links this meal by the elders of Israel on Mount Sinai. And he links it to the Lord's table, to the Lord's supper. I thought this was a great comment. He says, in essence, God is saying, come live under my protection, enjoy a meal with me. It is my honor to treat you. Let's talk. He says, that's the gist of the Lord's table. It gets to the heart of priestly privileges and pleasures. And it is a recurring event where heaven and earth meet. That is an interesting thought, isn't it? That the next time you partake of the Lord's Supper, think about that meal that the elders had in the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai, where they're invited into his presence to eat. And it's a holy place, a place where heaven and earth meet. And he says, really, this was the first of many meals that we see in the Old Testament. So we have the priests who would often uh, share a meal based on the sacrifices that are presented to the Lord. There was a priest's portion that was designated for the priests that they could eat when sacrifices were brought. Uh, We have uh, the people who brought a peace offering were able to share in a meal with the Lord from that offering. In Isaiah 55, we see this picture of those who remain faithful to the Lord. They receive an invitation to come and to eat at a soul-satisfying and free banquet. And then we see Jesus himself eating with uh, people that we would consider unworthy. In fact, was ridiculed for it by the Pharisees. And then kind of climaxing in Jesus sitting down with his 12 in the upper room and sharing probably the most famous, most important meal of Jesus on earth with his 12 disciples and what it would signify in the ratification of the new covenant of Christ. And so we see this this image of divine hospitality and sharing a meal kind of run through scripture. And when you think about it, that is a great picture of intimacy and fellowship, isn't it? This whole book is about us drawing near to God as priests, of being close to him. And and it's hard to imagine a, a better picture of friendship, of closeness, of sharing together, of, of intimacy, than people just sitting in the same room, sharing the same food, enjoying conversation together, sharing a meal. That is, that's the picture of which God is inviting these people to come in. And then we see Mount Sinai, the tabernacle and the Lord's presence. And so we see like Mount Sinai was kind of like a vertical tabernacle where the people are at the base and they saw the cloud of God's glory. So they see just a kind of a 
after effect, if you will, of God's glory. We see the people there seeing that glory of the Lord, but the elders are invited to come up a little bit farther into the presence of the Lord and they see his feet, if you will. Moses is invited up and he is invited up to the summit to the most holy place and he would later see God's back. We see this image of uh, later on in Exodus where, where Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see my full perfection, my full glory, but I'm going to, I'm going to hide you here in this cleft of a rock and I'm going to pass over you and you'll see my, my backside, if you will. And then you can see my glory. And so Moses sees a little bit more of the glory of the Lord. But then what about us? What about us? And toward the end of the chapter, he says, we have the coming of Jesus who revealed the father to us. Jesus revealed the father to us, but there's even more to come, isn't there? There's even more to come because we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So 1 Corinthians 13 says, right now at this point that we're at, we we see just like a, a reflection, just a just a, a reflected image, if you will. But one day we'll see face to face. We will see clearly and we'll be in the presence of God. And so kind of continuing the story forward, almost like the Israelites at the foot, the elders moving up, you know, Moses going to the summit, but still only seeing a partial vision of God's glory. One day we will see Christ face to face. And one day we will be around the throne of God, Revelation 5, singing praises to the Lamb who was slain. That is the ultimate of drawing near to God, isn't it? And that's what he has in store for us as his people. So it's a long story from Genesis to Revelation. And we're a part of that story. And he's continuing to draw people near. And even after he brings us into his family through Christ by his grace, we still are drawing even more near to God as we grow in our understanding of who he is, as he reveals more of himself to us through his word and through his spirit. And as we worship him, we are continuing to draw near to God until that final day when Christ returns, when we will see him face to face and we'll be caught up together to be with the Lord forever. What a great day that will be. Created to draw near. That's the ultimate end for which God made us and redeemed us is that he would be our God and we would be his people in his presence. He with us and we with him. What a great joy that is to look forward to. And it's in that hope that we live. It's in that hope that we do our day-to-day -day activities and we pray and we read scripture and we worship and we share the gospel with our neighbors and we seek to live out the fruits of the spirit and to do our good works before others that they might see God in us, it's, it's with that hope that we do all those things, that one day we'll be with God 
in his presence. And so I hope this study is helpful and encouraging to you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you have graciously and mercifully brought us in. And through Christ, you have taken that which is unclean and purified it and made it clean. And even beyond that, you have declared us holy. We are being sanctified as your people. And one day you will bring us home where we will be perfected and we will enjoy the fullness of your presence and joy forevermore. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. God, I pray your blessings upon our church family and that you would continue to help us draw near to you as you draw near to us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.